The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with John Thomas Flynn, who is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Ask the CIO, SLED edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, John Thomas Flynn. Welcome, everyone. We're broadcasting today at the National Association of State Chief Information Officers Conference in Nashville, Tennessee, on the occasion of NASIO's 50th anniversary. Our guest today is Nelson Moe, the Chief Information Officer for the Commonwealth of Virginia. So welcome to Ask the CIO SLED edition, our state and local program. Moe, good to have you. John, it's always a pleasure, and uh, thank you for your time today. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Well, uh, this is you, but you've been in, in office three or four years now? Uh, just over four years. Four years? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. And this is your third or fourth uh, NASIO conference, I I, I've now. been coming to them for a number of years now, and I've always very well attended, and, and the 50th here is exciting. I can't wait to uh, see what we get out of it. Yeah, it was interesting. I was at the corporate leadership meeting yesterday afternoon with Todd uh, Kimbrell from Texas yep. and... Uh, I guess it was Eric Boyette from North yep. Carolina. So it was really interesting. And we talked a lot about, uh, and they, should, I should say, talked a lot about, you know, where will this organization be, not 50 years now, but even in 10 years. Exactly. You've been here long enough to see. What do you think are the real emerging issues that we're going to see, not just uh, over the horizon one or two years, but five or 10 years from now? John, I think what uh, states are going to grapple with is the, the being able to keep up with the rapid change of technology and being able to provide relevant services for, the, for their citizens. And also to map that to uh, their individual uh, governor's priorities and uh, direction uh, from that. And so I think from, from that particular perspective, that's what I see in NASIO. Uh, the, the organization allow, provides a lot of uh, advice and uh, best practices and connections that will help uh, CIOs to do that. Yeah, I always felt it was a great organization. I've been coming here, as I said, I think yeah. since 1994 yeah. uh, when I hosted it in Boston. And it was quite a different theme and atmosphere with only the 30 or 40 data center managers, most of them were, yeah. that were members of the old NASIRE. Uh, it has changed significantly over the years, and I've watched a lot of that in my 20-year association with it. But let's move over to, to the Commonwealth of Virginia. You know, I'm sure. a Washington native, living back in D.C. now, and uh, it's, uh, I've always been, uh, Virginia's always been close to my heart. In fact, when I was born, my parents lived in Falls Church, so it's, a, oh, wow. it's one of my early residences, if you will. I talk with Rock Regan, former CIO from Connecticut, and every time we meet, we always talk about those heady days back in the mid to late 90s when everybody was looking at consolidation and outsourcing. Yeah. And very few states really jumped on that bandwagon. Connecticut tried to and got right to the precipice, but didn't get a, wasn't able to jump. But Virginia's led in that for years, and I know there's been a lot of changes, particularly over the last 12 months. Tell us a little bit about the status of the, the project now. Oh, thank you, Johnny. I'm really excited about uh, where we are going forward. You're right. Uh, Virginia is one of the few states that's consolidated all of its IT infrastructure services in one-on-one -on -one model where all the executive branches, and in the case of Virginia, it's 63, for example, Department of Transportation, Department of Motor Vehicles, Department of Corrections, Department of Social Services, they, they rely on uh, the central agency to provide the services. Uh, Virginia has moved to a model where we have, we're leveraging a professional multi-source integrator and multiple suppliers that provide that, kind of like a baseball team. I use the baseball analogy, John, where we have hired a coach and individual players, and we have the direct contracts with that coach and individual players to get a best-of-breed solution. That multi-supplier environment, I believe, and I've testified in front of Congress, I believe, has the best chance to provide 
uh, best opportunity going forward to add new services at the speed and scale necessary to keep up and provide relevant services to constituents. And there was a significant change from the model from previous years. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. The, the previous model, which was very beneficial, was signed a, was a single contract signed in 2005, and it was groundbreaking at the time that consolidated all the infrastructure and services and, and people and efforts into one entity. And that allowed, that consolidation allowed, that, that allowed us to, to then move into the new model, which allows it to have a, what I call a build to adapt. But that, the older contract, we ended that a year, almost a year ago, and we've moved into this multi-supplier model. It'll take us some time, on my, my estimate, between six months to 18 months from now to fully mature it. That's historically what it takes these large-scale integration transitions both in the private sector and, the, and in the government and then we're the the future for the commonwealth is is really exciting being able to add new services they come up they say artificial intelligence you know uh, drones things like that we can add it to the model and build to adapt you know i'm always surprised at the lack of adoption across the country what is the reason why so few organizations particularly state large you know state yeah. organizations don't seem to want to take that step when it makes so much sense and more and more nowadays the security yeah. issues i believe so it takes leadership and this was the leadership that that pre-existed me being there back in 2005 it takes leadership and vision to make the hard, hard choices and say what is what I call a differentiator for the government. The government really doesn't need to have its own data centers because that is not a differentiator for service. We'll leverage the private sector in those areas. Does that make sense? We'll leverage the private sector and ability to roll out security services. And so we become a broker of services. We provide uh, an analysis of what we want to consume and then pick the best of breed. The difficulty, John, the barrier to get there, and I've thought about this quite a bit, is getting that first step. And that's tough. And having the will and the political vision and the energy to do it, and that's what we had in Virginia in 2005, and continue to have that vision and will to move forward in innovative approaches. You know, I tried to do it in Massachusetts when I was there. In fact, when I got to California, I even had a budget for a half-million-dollar study for a yeah. data center consolidation study. So I said, well, we're going to make a data center consolidation and outsourcing into the mm -hmm. study. Well... Uh, California is a different breed. It was a lot of controversy, a lot of friction, a lot of pushback on that issue, and we never did get to do it. We bumped the data center consolidation, but we weren't able to push it into any outsourcing model, which is a shame because, as you said, it makes, uh, it makes a lot of sense for so many different reasons. Well, tell us about the conference. You were at the first session yeah. with Dolly. What did you think? I, I thought it was very interesting. I really liked uh, listening to her about uh, the, the leadership models and, and being and, and embracing uh, I, my phrase to, to summarize it, an activist approach from the outside or the un, from internal and not outside, but uh, from the, the staff up and uh, provide an opportunity for those in, in innovative, disruptive ideas to, to gel and to get traction and include. And, and that's another important thing that the, that the Commonwealth is into and in, in, in going forward is inclusion diversity, equity, and inclusion, and that would be one of the areas that we would see everybody has a chance to get their idea at least vetted. Mm -hmm. And that's really exciting to it provides everybody on board, and I took a lot of notes on her talk. Yeah, well, that's that issue of buy-in, it certainly makes a lot of sense to get anything done, whether it's data center yeah. consolidation or, or a simple uh, outsourcing of your, uh, your laptops, for example. Um, Tell us about what you're expecting for the rest of the conference. Anything uh, real exciting here? Are you on any uh, particular panels today uh, or tomorrow? So we have a uh, have an event here in a few minutes that I'm really looking forward to with uh, speed networking, where I get a chance to talk to suppliers and get their ideas and explain where Virginia's going. That's always fun. 
Uh, tomorrow night, I'm, I'm part of the awards ceremony. I get the chance to hand out awards uh, to states that have done a fantastic job in uh, providing innovative services and new, new technology approaches to, to their constituents. That's always fun. And I get a chance to connect uh, with relationships and also make new ones. Because at the end of the day, things are changing so fast in this area that you want to keep up with it, John. Yeah, I was interesting after the uh, proceedings last evening. They had a photograph of all the uh, state CIOs, and boy, there was a there was almost a full crowd there. Right? Looked like everybody but uh, California. Yeah, the, the, I think the two states that didn't make it this year, I think, were California and New York. Uh, you have to talk to Todd and uh, James about that. But um, yeah, NASIO is a widely attended event. It, uh, it really provides me the connection where states are going. We're all kind of trying to solve the same problems. Mm -hmm. Governors initiatives are pretty similar, workforce development, uh, broadband in rural areas, um, IT budgeting. Those are all, states are trying to solve that problem. We talk about how other people are doing it and we get ideas. Oh, they did it that way, they did it this way, and that's always fun. You know, it, you're exactly right. I, uh, it was like a, a, a magazine. When you attend NASIO, you get to talk to people. They've all had the same issues, yep. same challenges, and many of them have some innovative ideas that you can take back to your state capital. I'm sure that happens to you when you come to these type of events. I, I do. I, I get a chance to use this event and also this type of thing, your, your program, to get the word out and the message out. Virginia's open for business. Uh, we're very happy to have Amazon coming here uh, to Northern Virginia, and it, it just shows how we're diversifying the economy. It's te the technology is a, uh, is a game changer for the Commonwealth, and we are absolutely looking forward to these types of things. You know, one of, the, um, one of the issues that I don't seem to hear much about, I read about it, but I don't seem to hear much about it at NASIO, mm -hmm. and that's this whole issue over real ID, the new oh. driver's license that some states are really, I mean, California, California has to, has to give out two, have two million people a month yeah. to make the next October deadline. Yeah. Uh, where does Virginia stand on that? Uh, I have a really good news story. I get a chance to talk to Rick Holcomb quite a bit on this. Rick Holcomb is the commissioner for Department of Motor Vehicles for the Commonwealth of Virginia, and he is all in on making sure that Virginia is ready. In fact, we, go, and we partner with him to make sure that the Real ID events uh, are connected and advertised, and we support them not only from a technology perspective and contracts perspective, but also get the message out. So, yeah, he's on board. He, we work with his organization quite a bit to make sure this is done on time. Well, it, uh, it certainly is going to be. It's almost to me, I'm starting to compare it to yeah. a year 2000 incident, yeah. which was on my watch back when yeah. I was in, in 99 in California. And I think we're going to hear more and more of that because it's only, it's exactly not 11 months away, I guess. Exactly. 11 and yeah. a half, right, October 1st, 2020. Yep. Well, Nelson Moe, it's been great to have you. We're going to take a short break now. Our guest has been Nelson Moe, Chief Information Officer for the Commonwealth of Virginia. Thanks for taking the time to be with us, Nelson. We appreciate it. I really enjoyed it, John. Thank you for your time. We're broadcasting today at the National Association of State CIOs Conference in Nashville on the occasion of the 50th anniversary. We'll be right back with our next guest in just a moment. You're listening to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn. Thanks to man's best friend, researchers are making progress on an artificial nose that can smell the presence of bacterial infection. It's been shown that dogs can identify certain human maladies by smell, suggesting such afflictions somehow create detectable gases. Emily Benson, a graduate student at the University of Pennsylvania, says potentially dangerous Staphylococcus aureus bacteria likely produce such volatile chemicals as they grow in our bodies. Which then makes their way into the bloodstream and then eventually into people's tear ducts. 
So Benson is testing strips of paper soaked with human tears and through a chemical process coaxing out gases. She then lets them waft over an artificial nose she's engineered. The nose itself is actually a small electronic chip. Inside are 10 sensors, and in early tests, Benson says the way they react has predicted the presence of Staph aureus bacteria. With the National Academy of Engineering, Randy Atkins, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. For news on the federal pay raise. To learn how other agencies handle IT modernization. To see how Congress funds my agency. For changes to my TRICARE benefits. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back to Ask the CIO, SLED edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn, and we're broadcasting today at the National Association of State CIOs Conference in Nashville, Tennessee, on the occasion of NASIO's 50th anniversary. My guest is Kurt Wood, Secretary of Technology Services and CIO for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Welcome to Ask the CIO, SLED edition, Kurt. It's nice to see you again. Thanks, John. Good to see you as well. We've had about, we're about halfway through the first day of the conference and uh, just off a very provocative uh, opening session. Did you get a chance to see uh, Polly and her, uh, her group? I did. Yeah. did what did you think? I thought it was uh, very energetic. I thought uh, spot on from, uh, you know, the new workforce that we uh, are challenged with today and the, the folks that, uh, you know, are making decisions and working with us and as to, especially from a technology perspective and from an innovation perspective, uh, she had great insight, uh, great recommendations. And it's, it's kind of interesting. One of the relatively new aspects of NASIO has been the, the uh, networking session, speed dating or speed networking as they refer to it in the NASIO catalog. We just finished a session. I guess there were four sessions. Uh, you probably had 40 or 50 people around your table during those sessions asking, what are some of the interesting and provocative issues that, that you're hearing? Well, I did do four. You know, some of the folks we've met over the years, some not. Uh, again, uh, I, I find these opportunities great to meet with people, uh, express our uh, vision, our strategy, our approaches, you know, how we, uh, you know, transition. Uh, I think some of the vendors there have, uh, take the time to learn. I'm an old type of sky, old school guy where I like to filibuster a little bit, so I like to kind of get my point across. Never a lot of time for a lot of questions, but I get the point across. And I, I find the sessions to be uh, informative. I think the vendors walk away with a feeling of, uh, you know, understanding what we're trying to do in Massachusetts, uh, opportunities that are coming up. And again, set the guardrails framework, uh, keep an open invitation for folks to come in and visit with us. You know, it's interesting. I cut out a little article I read the paper, the, the local papers in, uh, in Massachusetts recently about your, I guess it was your testimony uh, before the legislature, and one of the provocative issues you brought up, I think it was over a half a billion uh, attacks or hits on your, on your network. Tell us about that. Well, uh, again, you know, like many states, if not all, cybersecurity is a top priority, uh, certainly a top priority of our administration, Governor Baker. Uh, you know, we're in the process of... Uh, building out uh, capacity uh, within our organization, making sure that our state network and our assets are, you know, protected uh, from vulnerabilities and uh, challenges. You know, we've implemented some new technology over the last couple of years, and, you know, what we've seen through some of the uh, products that we've implemented and some of the information sharing collaborations we've been involved in, you know, that, uh, you know, it's a constant threat. We see the, uh, 
you know, the, the threats coming in from, you know, pinging on network, I think is the term I used, uh, half a billion a day for some of the software analytics we have now that, you know, we're able to analyze uh, or at least to look at. And again, it, it, it's shown on a scale. Now, certainly not everything, not all 500, you know, million are, are an attack. But I mean, I think what it does show that, you know, the people are out there in foreign countries or in the United States with automated tools that are just banging away trying to find a vulnerability. So, you know, we have to prepare for that. You know, it shows the order of magnitude, shows that, you know, one individual can't or a group of individuals certainly can't do this by themselves, that, you know, we need to make sure that we have the appropriate focus, the appropriate, you know, priority, appropriate, you know, funding and, and support and, you know, model going forward and commitment to make sure that, you know, our assets are protected. It's a very dangerous planet, isn't it? Certainly is. Particularly when you're in government. Certainly is. And I think, uh, you know, from a government, you know, we have a lot of valuable information. We, you know, we have a lot of uh, services that are, you know, our residents, visitors, and businesses of the states uh, depend on day to day. You know, so it's, you know, our obligation, our commitment to make sure that, you know, our we're protected the best we can and be able to understand and uh, work with folks to make sure that, uh, you know, our continuity of government is maintained. You know, that's a good segue into uh, a discussion of the relatively peculiar, can't even say the word, an innovative funding mechanism that exists in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, as we've discussed. When I was CIO back in 93, uh, that, I believe, was one of the first years of the IT bond. Mm -hmm. I know that uh, there's a new bond that we've talked about before, but I think, give us an update on that. Tell us a little bit about it, a little background, sure. and what the status is. Sure. Uh uh, to your point, back in the mid-90s, uh, the, the thought of investing, you know, it's almost similar to infrastructure. You know, I think we took an early lead uh, from years ago that we considered our IT to be part of our infrastructure. Uh, from a capital perspective, we certainly were struggling from an operational budget. So, you know, uh, the leaders back then, including yourself, were able to kind of convince, or not kind of, but they did convince the administration and convince the legislature that, you know, an investment uh, using capital funds was there to go. So uh, what I would say, you know, we're we're finishing our fifth bond cycle, so that's 25 years worth of funding. Mm -hmm. You know, well over several billion dollars over the past, you know, 25 years. We have a $1.1 billion bond uh, at the State House right now. $600 million of it is uh, dedicated to my organization, you know, for the improvement and advancement of our systems. $135 million of that is dedicated towards cybersecurity. You know, another an extra 135. 135 or? within the within the six. Okay. Uh, and then you know 165 to improve you know uh, customer experience, digital experience. So again, you know we have a tagline in Massachusetts: uh, get digital, get secure. So again, we're trying to really work towards improving that user experience or the customer experience, you know, from our residents and visitors and business of the Commonwealth, and making sure that we do it in a secure fashion. So the bond has just been a tremendous, tremendous, you know, uh, asset for us. Uh, you know, we, we take it uh, seriously. You know, we work with our legislature, work with our leadership to make sure that, you know, the investments are done appropriately uh, and, you know, we get the return of value for long long term. And it's obviously nice to have a budget and a budget that you can track, you can track spending on. And I know that was one of the greatest aspects of having that bond that my old friend Lou Angeloni, who you recall, yep. that was my chief of uh, my financial uh CFO. Right. He was very, he rode herd over that and was very, it was very set up. It was set up in a way to make that kind of oversight uh, feasible. Yeah, absolutely. And nowadays you talk to most states, they don't even know how much they spend on No, absolutely. We've been, you know, we've been, it's a focus of mine since I've, I've taken the position, um, 
you know, to make sure that we, uh, you know, understand where the money goes. You know, we have an obligation to the, you know, people we work for in the Commonwealth, you know, the people that pay our salaries and pay the taxes. You know, we have a responsibility to the legislature, you know, to make sure that, you know, we, we do the right thing, that we don't waste money, that we do, um, you know, from a technology perspective, that we have the appropriate scale size. You know, we've even established an investment advisory board, a capital board, that we have folks that uh, Luis Gutierrez, myself, and some others, you know, old, mm-hmm. old comrades that have been around government for a long time that have, you know, understand technology, but understand the financials, understand legislative requirements. And we really work together to make sure that anybody that comes in for funding, it's almost like venture capital. We make them come in with a use case, a business case, right. a funding model, a project support model, you know, executive ownership. So we put them through the real disciplines of that to make sure. So it's been a great, you know, transition into that new space. So it's been very, very uh, helpful. Yeah, and as I said, it, it, it makes the whole uh, process of keeping track of that of the spending much more, uh, m- much more doable, if you will. Yes. Uh, we're in California. Uh, they're still doing, uh, they do a survey once a year on spreadsheets to right. s- decide what the IT spending is. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've moved away from that. I mean, we, in, our, in our organization, we certainly have authority over all the organizations at the state level, executive branch. And, you know, we work closely. We come up with financial plans. You know, we, have, uh, we actually have financial reporting requirements or technology reporting requirements built into our budget every year. So we're obligated to report spend and projections of spend uh, and again it's worked out because it gives us a better understanding of where we're spending money yeah. gives us a better understanding if you know we're not making our mark in certain areas and uh, but you do it in a collaborative fashion you don't do it in a you know kind of iron thumb fashion mm-hmm. you do it really it's about education and making sure people work together to kind of get to where you need to go sure uh, let's talk a little bit about NASIO in the last mm-hmm. few minutes we have uh, this is your how many conferences now this is my second second okay right. so what do you uh, think of NASIO and what's your uh, what's your favorite aspect to a NASIO membership well, you know, you know, coming from my years in public safety, you know, I was always on the other side and had a relationship with NASIO, but not this uh, intimate. What I've seen over the last year or so, uh, you know, the, the spirit of collaboration, the forums, you know, the, the ability to kind of communicate with each other. You know, they have a member portal that, you know, really is really well used and, uh, you know, to help us uh, guide us through some, you know, uh, challenging times. You know, it's such a, an emerging area and day-to-day there's so many challenges on a CIO and, and an organization within the state. You know, NASIO has really, to me, provided some great leadership, but really good framework and foundation, you know, that we can exchange ideas, we can have some conversations. They brought some really talented folks in to bear to help us uh, with certain committees, cybersecurity, you know, governance, you know, information technology procurement, you know, things of that nature. You know, we've, we've, we've had... Uh, you know, over the past year, I've been on, you know, numerous calls with them, helping me out, giving me some guidance. I've been able to guide them in some areas. So just a great collaboration. And when you get together in a conference like this, it's even better where you get to really meet, you know, your fellow CIOs and their challenge. But also it's a real good experience to meet the vendor community because I do think, you know, and I'm, I'm a type of person that, you know, I listen, I learn, uh, exchange good information, good ideas, and, you know, and see what the next opportunity brings. Well, it's certainly popular, and being in Nashville didn't hurt the uh, participation. I think there's, I, I haven't heard yet, but there's got to be 800 or more people. Yeah, here. I think I think last count was over 850, and this is a great venue. Nashville's a great city. I've been here, this is about my 10th time in Nashville. I, I remember the days when, you know, back in the 90s when it was, you know, was struggling, and yeah. uh, they've done a great job here in this city. Yeah. You know, the, the, the hospitality is fantastic. The venue is great. Uh, the folks that are, you know, at the conference, fantastic. Great time. Yeah. We've, uh, we've counted 17 cranes throughout the city just in the drive-in. Unbelievable. It's almost like Boston. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Listen, we're going to have to conclude with that. I want to thank our guest, Kurt Wood, 
Secretary of Technology Services and Chief Information Officer for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Thank you for taking the time to be with us, Kurt. Thanks, John. Great to see you. Great to see you, John. And thank all of you for listening. Content from this state and local program, which also includes curated news and original articles by yours truly and other more esteemed authors, is part of the recently expanded AskTheCIO.com. Hope you can join us again each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time or listen to a podcast afterwards. Until then, bye for now. I'm John Thomas Flynn. You've been listening to Ask the CIO, Sled Edition with John Thomas Flynn on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.